1: This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Tableau Software and Dole Food Company.
2: Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to take a moment to extend a special welcome to members of our armed forces who are tuning in over the Internet, and also new listeners who are joining us on stations who have recently joined our network in Texas, Florida, Maine, Alabama, Massachusetts, Oklahoma, and California. Thank you for being with us. In just a moment, physician and recently retired senator from Oklahoma, Mr. Tom Coburn, will be joining the program to explain why he believes the U.S. government may be facing a crisis of legitimacy and why a constitutional convention is needed to prevent further government overreach. But before Mr. Coburn joins us, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little about his background. Thomas Allen Coburn was born in Casper, Wyoming. He earned his undergraduate degree from Oklahoma State University and medical degree from the University of Oklahoma. In 1970, Coburn went to work in the family business where he successfully grew the ophthalmic division of Coburn Optical Industries from 13 employees to more than 350 and captured a third of the U.S. market. Following medical school, Coburn opened a maternal and family practice in Muskogee, where he treated over 15,000 patients and has the distinction of delivering 4,000 babies. In 1994, Coburn ran four-in-one election to the United States House of Representatives, where he served until 2001. This was followed by election to the U.S. Senate in 2005, a position which he stepped down from earlier this year. I'd also like to add that Mr. Coburn has authored several extraordinary books, which listeners who are concerned about the real consequences of runaway spending will be interested in reading. They are chocked full of verifiable facts. And if you're a regular listener of this program, you know how I feel about the importance of separating partisan propaganda from empirical data. And Mr. Coburn does an admirable job of delivering the facts. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report, a constitutionalist known for keeping a watchful eye on taxpayer dollars, Mr. Tom Coburn. Welcome to the program, Mr. Coburn.
3: Well, thank you very much. Glad to be with you
2: let me first congratulate you on a successful congressional career and and retirement. Uh, How are you doing since your retirement?
3: Well, I'm loving it. Uh, My time's my own. I get to choose what I do and when I do it. Um, I'm getting to spend a whole lot more time with my wife and my family in Oklahoma, which is great. I have uh, seven grandchildren, soon to have an eighth. And I'm excited about the future.
2: Oh, my goodness. Well, it's always great to have a little more family time. And I between your practice and, and your time in Washington, I'm sure that uh, you're really grateful to have that time now. now. Now, you are one of a small minority who never viewed your time in Washington as a career, mainly because you were and, and are a doctor. So that may be a good place to, to open today's program. So, some say that term limits are a good idea because it's an insurance against leaders who might be tempted to serve their careers over the interests of the American people. Well, there are others that make an equally strong argument that the learning curve is so steep that it takes a while to become effective in D.C. So, so what do you think? Are term limits a good idea or not?
3: Who are the people that make the argument that the learning curve is steep?
2: Well, it's the people well, that
4: are there.
3: It's the people that want to justify that there should not be term limits. You can learn everything you need to know in terms of procedure and how the place works in three months if you want to. But if you're a career politician, you don't want to do that. You want you want you want to absorb the the goals and the greatness of your electoral victory, and you want to spend your time in a position of elitism, uh, telling other people what they need to do, rather than listening to what Americans think about what ought to be done, and not paying attention to the Constitution. And I see that as a bipartisan problem. I mean, you know, we just had the former leader of the Senate admit that everything he said about Mitt Romney was a lie, but not apologize for it. What does that tell you about career politicians? And that's not because he's a Democrat. It's because he played the partisan game to the ultimate, and the thing that mattered to him was power. Liberty and freedom doesn't doesn't matter. Power matters. Mm -hmm. And the reason I left the Senate early is I became convinced that we cannot fix Washington in Washington. We have to fix Washington the way our founders told us to fix it. And so I'm committed for the next three to four years or however long it takes to have a convention of the states to exercise the sovereign rights of the states and the individuals and their liberty and reestablish some strangleholds on this growing, intimidating, coercive federal government. I mean, you
2: called it, yeah. I think you called it Potomac fever. Uh, you you said, quote, powers like morphine, it dulls the senses, impairs judgment, and leads politicians to make choices that damage their own character and the machinery of democracy. Is that right?
3: That's true. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, we, we, we just had a, the president state today uh, on a bill he signed to force advancement of the utilization of alternative forms of energy in businesses and homes, there's no regard for what market forces would be in there to allocate scarce resources of energy. Mm-hmm. We're gonna we have all this wisdom in Washington, sponsored by Republican and Democrat senators, who think they know better than the marketplace would be know how to allocate power. Mm-hmm. Now I'm talking electrical power, energy. Uh, for the American businesses and American homes. The best way to allocate any resource is through markets Mm -hmm. and have price through fluctuation do that. And so we totally have disregarded it. I would tell you under the original meaning of the Commerce Clause and the General Welfare Clause, there's no room whatsoever for the federal government to be telling businesses how much alternative energy they have to buy. Mm -hmm. But yet we just had a bill signed today that had a full, uh, that was one of the last bills I blocked, before I left the Senate, and we, we, you know, I'm sure it had 75 or 80 votes. That that tells you that Washington doesn't get it.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: That they want to dictate what we do, and so so they lose uh, common sense if they ever had it, and they become infatuated with the power that causes them to do things they never would have done. Citizen. Mm-hmm.
2: hmm Now you've compared Washington to Las Vegas. Uh, wh- why so?
3: Well, for four reasons. One is the addictive power of spending. Uh, uh, number two is it takes advantages of all the weaknesses uh, the, of humans. Uh, uh, so if we have this complicated process under which we see all human weaknesses manifested in the behavior in Washington because power ultimately, and the winning the big prize, staying in position, is what they desire. And and it's, it's not a abnormal human behavior. It's a normal human behavior that the desire to be in a position would sometimes cause them to do the things that are not in the best interest of the country. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I would put forward today's Congresses do things that all, most of the time are not in the best interest of the country long term. Mm-hmm.
2: Are they in the best interest of their constituency or of themselves? Oh, no.
3: no, it's in the best interest of their career. Ah, ah. In other words, the, 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 the tension is do what's best for the country versus do what is best for my political career. Mm-hmm. And so if I can, if I can uh, satisfy the demands of the large money contributors and the people who are in positions of power, big business, who don't want competition or who want more government regulation because it makes it difficult for a small business to compete with them and take market away then i'm going to i'm going to to that rather than what the constitution says and rather than what this idea that the whole country was founded on is hard work great character competitive enterprises with liberty and freedom to fail or win
2: I wonder what it says about us that we elect people who uh, don't have the character to resist these temptations that you talk about. That uh, that sort of prey on normal human instincts. There are certainly some people who can, but uh, but you know, it seems as though we're electing people who are not able to do that. Now we're going to have to take a short break. We'll be right back with more from Mr. Tom Coburn. You're listening to the Costa Report.
5: I'm Amy Tobin, cookbook author and culinary expert. Strawberries, blueberries, blackberries, and raspberries. Dole has a bounty of berries ripe for the picking. Fresh berries are not only delicious, but some of the most powerful disease-fighting foods available. Researchers have found that berries have some of the highest antioxidant levels of any fresh fruits. So add a handful or two of your favorite berries to your next meal and enjoy their nutritional benefits and natural sweetness in all of your dishes, from salads to desserts and everything in between. For fresh tips and ideas from Dole's berry experts, visit berries.dole.com. And be sure to check out the pages of mouth-watering recipes. Whether it's a sweet and savory blueberry cranberry chicken salad or a simple strawberry sorbet, Dole has the perfect berry to inspire your next berrylicious
2: dish. Hi, this is Janine Avila. I'd like to invite you to join the American Red Cross in celebrating local real heroes on Wednesday, May 13th at 8 a.m. at the historic Coconut Grove on the shore of beautiful Monterey Bay and adjacent to the world-famous Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk. The annual Red Cross Central Coast Heroes Breakfast recognizes extraordinary acts of courage and community service by local residents of Monterey, San Benito, and Santa Cruz counties while supporting the life-saving programs and emergency services provided by your local Red Cross chapter. Learn more about the Heroes event and how to purchase tickets before May 8th by visiting redcross.org backslash Central Coast Heroes. That's redcross.org backslash Central Coast Heroes.
6: Money can't make you happy, but the lack of it can sure add a lot of stress to your life. Need help with your personal finances? Listen Thursday nights at 7 p.m. to Money Moves. Host Pamela Fugit hedrick offers one hour of free tips and tools to help you manage your cash flows with her Money Moves. Each Thursday night, she discusses topics like how to prevent a complete personal financial meltdown, how to start a go-to fund for emergencies, provide ideas on how to cut back rather than cutting out some of your expenses, how to erase your debt load and financial stressors, How to find funding for your retirement? How the heck do you enroll to use health insurance? No more excuses. Money Moves can answer these questions and so much more. Tune in Money Moves with your host, Pamela Fugit-Hedrick, Thursday night from 78 p.m. to work on your Money Moves.
2: Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa. And my guest today is former senator from Oklahoma, Mr. Tom Coburn. And before the break, you were making the point that if there are no term limits, this gives rise to career politicians who uh, are regularly tempted to serve their own interests, as well as the interests of those who uh, financially support them. Is that correct?
3: Well, I think yes, it is correct, but I think that they're not any different than the rest of us. Mm-hmm. When none of us have limits on us, then then our tendency is to take advantage of the least resistant flow, with which we benefit ourselves, and that's well, human I, nature. Well, I'm, not, I'm sure
2: not sure I agree with you, I, I, Senator. I'm not sure I agree with you because you say that you know they're no different than the rest of us. You certainly didn't uh, you didn't bow to those temptations.
3: Well, my example was though, as I term limited myself. So I knew my, my goal was never to rise in the power structure. My goal was to ra- identify problems and fix them, and that's the problem. So if, in fact, you've put either self-imposed term limits or term limits on them, then what you will do is minimize the natural human tendency to benefit yourself at the expense of everybody else.
2: So are you saying that by putting a term limit on yourself, you removed the possibility of a temptation? Sure.
3: <laughs> I, I've done that my whole life. Is I put limits on myself so that my, na, my natural banal nature would not over, overstand my character.
2: Well, I guess and this is you know, like the, me not buying cookies at the grocery store because there's no sure. point in having them in the cupboard.
3: I will uh, eat them. Yeah, so the, so the point is, is, I'm not saying I'm any better than anybody else, but by putting limits on myself, I, my goals change my goals changed to actually get back to what we were sent there for rather than to build a power base and to continue my career see the difference is is when you have career politicians it's about them it's not about us as citizens
2: well i have to have believe that your your party had less control over you as well because you know the party can do very little for you if you're not planning on running again
3: right and the whole point is is if your goal is to get elected, you're going to do things that help you get elected. If your goal is to represent your constituency, and you don't care whether you get elected or not, you have the freedom to actually do what our founders wanted you to do.
4: Mm
3: -hmm. And they were men and women, you know, behind every one of those men were wonderful women who actually educated a lot of the men. And we had this tremendous character and knowledge of history that guided everything they do. Today, we're focused on the individual rather than history. And, you know, we, we've, we've gone through all these things in recent years. And you have to ask, why didn't we pay attention to history? Why do we have a recovery? We're in the, what, sixth year of it? Uh, that we, have, we haven't ever averaged over 2% growth? What is that? Why aren't we asking those questions? We have all these things going on in Congress that have nothing to do with the real problems facing this country. And that ought to tell us something.
2: Well, I that believe, and I'm going to quote you again, you have said that what it tells us is that there's a crisis of legitimacy.
3: There, that's exactly right, and a crisis of confidence. Uh, I have no confidence that the federal government's going to do what's in the best interest of this country. And I've been there for 16 years, mm-hmm. separated by four. And when I see what's happening versus what needs to happen, and when, as a physician, I'm trained to seek the real problems and solve the disease yes. rather than treat the symptoms. And what we have is 80% of the character actors in Washington are treating symptoms much to the demise of our future and certainly to the demise of the financial future of our children. So to me, it, it makes no sense that we're the president signing the bill on mandating uh, alternative energy for businesses and homes when Social Security disability would be out of money in eight months. And nobody's talking about that. Mm-hmm. Nobody's working on that. Nobody, whether the, whether the Senate Finance Committee is controlled by a Republican or a Democrat, they're all cowards when it comes to addressing what needs to happen to fix these programs. Because they're afraid they won't get reelected. Or they'll get blamed for not being able to fulfill the commitment regardless of what the outcome is going to be for our kids and our grandkids.
2: Well, so as you say, uh, if you treat the symptoms and not the disease, it's not as though the disease is going to get better on its own or go away. Uh, it's actually
3: going to get worse.
2: Absolutely.
3: A- absolutely. You're going hide to the, hide, hide the disease. Mm-hmm. And, and so, to me, when, when, when the federal government last year reported that we had a deficit of $480 billion dollars, but the real numbers under generally accepted accounting principles was that we added almost $6 trillion to the liabilities of our children. Mm-hmm. There's not anything honest about that. And to say we have $18 trillion worth of debt, but we have unfunded liabilities now in excess of $142 trillion. Mm-hmm. And you add the $18 trillion to the $142 trillion, that's $500,000 per man, woman, and child in this country an impossible load. So what is going to be the outcome of this if we continue to have Congresses run by both Republicans and Democrats that don't address the real issues.
2: Well, let's don't. talk about that for a moment, because you, you know, there this idea of a constitutional convention of some type seems to be getting traction. Where, uh, where there may be an opportunity to pre, uh, make it illegal for the government to saddle its citizenry with that kind of debt that cannot be paid back.
3: Well, let let me clarify one point of, of contention mm-hmm. and wording. Uh, when we say constitutional convention, that's not what Article 5 calls for. Mm -hmm. Article 5 calls for a convention of the states to offer amendments to the Constitution. Mm -hmm. And they're two really wholly different things. And that's where the opposition to a convention of the states gets its traction because they're afraid you'll lose your Bill of Rights. And, of course, nobody in this country that that I've talked to that's sane believes Every legislative body, say 13, would say we're going to take away your first or second or third or fourth amendment rights. Nobody believes that. But that's what we're running up against as people say that. But the only way to really rein in power, and, and I'm convinced Washington will never voluntarily give up its power, is to have a convention of the states that starts drawing power back to the states. And let me give you an example. When, when Thomas Jefferson, the author of our Declaration of Independence, and one of the authors of the Constitution, was asked, while he, as he was struggling to get the University of Virginia founded, why he didn't go to the federal government and ask for money to help found the University of Virginia. And his answer was very simple. He said, you obviously don't understand the Constitution, because this is purely a state issue, and there's no role for the federal government in education whatsoever in the united states and for there to be a role you would have to have a con- a constitutional uh, amendment that gave the federal government that right so now we look at every state legislature in the country over 50 percent of their budget is education mm-hmm. and over 60 percent of that 50 percent they have no control over it because it's all mandated by the federal government And yet, we've spent $2.7 trillion since 1976, since the Department of Education was established, and we have no parameter that's better anywhere in the country.
2: No. Now, I'd like to pick that up on the other side. We Unfortunately, we've got a hard break that we have to take here. I, I hate to cut you off, but let's pick that up on the other side of the break. Stay right where you are. We'll be right back with more from Senator Tom Coburn right after these important messages from our sponsors. You're listening to The Costa Report.
1: Have you checked out The Costa Report blog yet? Well, what are you waiting for? There's no quicker way to find out what newsmakers are saying than the Costa Report blog at RebeccaCosta.com. It's where the former CEO of Apple and PepsiCo, John Scully, predicts where the next tech breakthroughs are going to come from. And also where Trent Lott explains why a GOP reversal of the Senate nuclear option will signal real change in our nation's capital. And the Costa Report blog is where you'll discover why Alan Dershowitz is worried that ISIS is adopting Hamas-like tactics. You'll find all this and more at the Costa Report blog. A new blog is posted every week, and they're short, pithy, and tell the unvarnished truth. Just go to RebeccaCosta.com to get the latest blog. That's RebeccaCosta.com. And while you're there, be sure to register for updates and breaking news. The Costa Report blog. Bringing you the news the big networks don't and won't.
6: Hello? Hi, Grandma. No, Grandma, I can't fix your computer. I'm sorry it's so slow, but I don't know what to do with it. You clicked on what? You better call User-Friendly Computing, because I can fix any PC, Mac, or laptop. They'll even come to your house and pick it up. But if you bring it to the shop, they'll give you a free $50 diagnostic just for saying you heard their ad on KSCO. No, Grandma, downloading that free internet software won't save you time, or money let's face it most of your computer problems these days start with the user being tricked into clicking on a link that contains a path to computer hell user-friendly computing will have you back on track fast user-friendly computing is locally owned at 505 river street across from gateway plaza or you can give them a call at 831-423-9653 that's
7: 831-423-9653 Attention George Nori fans, this update is for you. Assuming you have $50 for a ticket to something really special, we have a very limited number of spaces available for you to join us at the meet, greet, and get to know George in person at our fabulous VIP dinner this Saturday evening starting at 7.30 p.m. at a world-class gourmet Santa Cruz restaurant. We don't want that restaurant to be mobbed, so we are keeping the location secret until you buy Buy your ticket online at ksco.com right there on our homepage. Your receipt will tell you the location of the restaurant in the city of Santa Cruz. Just as Nancy Pelosi said we had to pass Obamacare in order to learn what is in it, you need to buy your George Norrie VIP dinner ticket in order to learn what restaurant will host this epic, never-to-be-repeated-again event. Go to ksco.com and buy your VIP ticket now before we sell out. This is Dean Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law. Legal topics dominate this week's headlines. The potential death penalty for the Boston Bomber, the riots in Baltimore, gay marriage before the U.S. Supreme Court. Join my co-host, Professor Stephen Wagner, and me to discuss these and other topics. This Saturday from 3 to 5 p.m., we welcome you to call in with your opinions as well. Saturday, 3 to 5 p.m., Wagner and Winnick on the Law, here on KSCO AM 1080.
5: Okay, I wonder if feminism is responsible for the decline in marriage, Sam, or could it be because of free pornography? Marriage is on the decline. So is it free porn that's keeping men from getting married?
6: Well, now, I think that is probably closer to the truth. It could possibly be that, you know, a lot of people are too busy spanking it to go out and actually meet a flesh-and-blood woman. (laughs) Don't miss KSEO presents Georgia every Wednesday and Friday from 2 to 4 p.m.
2: back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, my guest today is Tom Coburn. And before the break, we were talking about a convention of the states, and you were describing the story of Thomas Jefferson's clarification regarding where the power to oversee education resides, which, which is actually in the states.
3: That's right. That's right. And, of course, we've totally negated that starting in the 70s. And now what do we see as a result of that? a non-competitive American education system that's controlled by the unions and the federal government rather than local school boards and state school boards. And the consequences have been devastating, not in terms of numbers, but in terms of lives.
2: Now, I, I'm obviously I uh, do not come from a political background. I am a scientist by training, uh, but I'm I'm a little bit confused on this point. Even Thomas Jefferson expected the Constitution in its original form not to last more than ten years without being amended, uh, which is why the which is why the founding fathers so carefully allowed for a process of amending the Constitution. I mean, if they, if they didn't expect it to be perfected over time, they wouldn't have put an amendment process in, in place. So why would there be any opposition to a convention of states to deal with some of the vagaries and the, the shift of, um, uh, of overreach by the federal government? Uh, why would there be opposition to that? Why not, why not bring these issues out and deal with them head on?
3: Well, I think it, it, it's a combination of fear. Uh, people aren't under... First of all, people don't have any knowledge about our founders. You know, we, we hardly ever... You know, I just saw a statistic. 23% of the citizens of this country that weren't naturalized can pass the naturalization test. But 100% of the citizens that are naturalized can pass it. So less than a fourth of us actually know the details of our form of government, how it works, why it works. So here again, that goes back to the education. What what the founders, you know, what, what, what Mason said, and it's written down so we can all read it, he was worried about only giving the Congress the power to initiate changes because he said you will concentrate more and more power. And what they expected was frequent conventions of the states. Mm-hmm. Because the states were, you know, the one real worry that they have had has now come into full fruition. The federal government dominates at every level, in every issue, in every area.
2: Okay, but, but let me stop you for a moment. The states have cooperated with this.
3: Sure, because they have been bribed with money. And the same problems that you see in Washington occur at the state level. Lack of character.
2: I mean, the states could call position. for a convention any time they want to. So why, why, why have they been reluctant to do
3: this? Because they've been bribed. Now 50%, 60% of state budgets are federal dollars. They don't dare want to, you know, the, the, the ends in state government and the paws in state government don't want to rock the boat because the money that's coming. But here's, here's the real story. The real story is that money is not going to come in the future. It's not going to be there because we've failed our constitutional duty to straighten and rebalance the roles between the states and the federal government. And so it's the morphine I've talked about, except in this case, it's the morphine of the states getting grant money. You know, there's only six hundred billion dollars worth of grants given by the federal government a year. Mm -hmm. You think that doesn't buy co-option, doesn't buy lack of freedom? doesn't buy limits on our liberty? It does, because now who's in control? Not members of Congress, but bureaucrats that nobody ever elected are telling us what we will and won't do with our tax money.
2: Well, how about this issue of uh, requiring the government to balance its budget?
3: That's exactly what it should be have to. It should have to. You know, that's, that's the reason the politicians won't address the issues because there's nothing to force them because they can't say we have to balance our budget, and that's my excuse for for changing Medicare, changing Social Security, changing Social Security disability. You know, here, here, what most people don't realize of that $5 trillion last year, $400 billion of it was the rise in obligations for retire, federal retirees. Mm-hmm. And the average federal retiree retires with an income greater than median family income in this country. Wow. I mean, yeah, wow. I, I, I,
2: I'm sorry. I, I, I try to keep abreast of all the facts, but I had no idea.
3: Well, And then the full, fully funded cost of a federal employee, counting benefits, retirement, and everything else, is around $135,000 a year. Well, that's two and three quarters times the median family income.
4: Wow. That so, we,
3: so we pay people who work for the federal government two and a half, two, two and three quarters time what the average median family income is. And I would remind you that that's two people working most of the time. Mm-hmm. So we, and nobody will go and attack that. Even but a lot of these
2: obligations, let's talk about entitlement programs and, and even these, uh, these obligations to federal employees. Uh, those are protected under the law. I mean, I, I well, mean, the there's on, in some cases, there's not a lot you can do about it. You'd be breaking the law to, to break those obligations.
3: No, you, no, Congress changes the law. Congress created the law. Congress can change the law. The law says Medicare is going to go bankrupt in 2027. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't we change it where it doesn't go bankrupt in 2027? Why should we continue to have unfunded liabilities for federal employees that's growing as fast as the calculated deficit of the federal government every year?
2: So tell me, how is this going to get resolved? Let's talk about solutions. Are we going to, I mean, it seems to me we're either going to tax the heck out of the American people to get out of this hole, or we're going to be looking at hyperinflation so that the debt looks smaller.
3: That's exactly what they they have planned right now. Let's don't do anything until we have to, and then what will happen is we'll have hyperinflation, and the asset value of everybody that everything has and everybody's retirement will decline. It's called financial repression. And that's what governments have done for years to try to do it. Except the problem with us is we're the reserve currency of the world. And as soon as the 10-year bond and 30-year bond bid to cover ratio starts dropping, yeah. you'll see an exodus from our, our debt. And then you'll see our interest rates Rise about a trillion dollars a year.
2: So, so let's assume. Add- so let's assume we go into hyperinflation. The debt starts looking smaller and smaller because we've devalued the dollar. Uh, isn't the next logical thing as we lose our status as reserve currency of the world?
3: Sure, we're losing it now. Well, but I it, think
2: we're losing gonna, it now, too. But, you know, people yeah. tell me, no, in Washington, don't worry about it. That's not never going to happen. And I'm saying, well, uh, it, it seems like there's only, you know, we're getting down to only a couple of levers here that we can use.
3: Well, I once, I can't remember the gentleman that said this, but it, it's a very true statement. Everything continues as it does till it doesn't. And so the assumption of everybody in Washington is there won't be any panic over our ability to repay. There will continue to be the reserve currency. But if you look at the trajectory that the CBO puts out for our rising debt and deficits, and if you go read the Social Security trustees' reports and you read the Medicare trustees' reports, it's impossible for us to, to do anything without changing the trajectory of all those items. So that comes back, how do we fix it? What we do is we fix those programs. We put competitive forces into health care, which mm-hmm. is not happening in this country. And it's one of the reasons it's so expensive. You know, I just finished six weeks locum tenens with my former group. And I can tell you that 80% of the time that my assistants, whether they were nurses, receptionists, file clerks, or whatever they were, 80% of the time they were working had nothing to do with getting the patient well had everything to do with being compliant with Medicare, being compliant with an insurance company, being compliant with the uh, the DEA. Mm -hmm. In other words, we now have all these resources that don't do anything to help the patient. Mm -hmm. And what we need to do is change all that and have a competitive model.
2: I, I could not agree with you more. I, the healthcare system is in a quandary as it tries to make this transition, and it's not making it well. Now we have to take our final break. We'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to the Costa Report. If you're wondering what to do with all that data you're creating, do I have an offer for you? Tableau is drag and drop software that people of any skill level can use to analyze and turn data into something actionable. That's right. I said actionable. And isn't that what all that data is for? With Tableau, you can connect to any data in virtually any format and visualize it on the fly. Databases, spreadsheets, even big data sources are instantly combined into usable charts, graphs, reports, and dashboards. People can analyze data and drag and drop at 10 times the speed of a traditional business intelligence system. But the most Now, if you've been listening to the Costa Report, you know that I'm a big fan of wines by Caraccioli Cellars. And today I'm here with Scott Caraccioli who's one of the brains behind the most memorable wines money can buy. So I have a question for you. How did your family get into the wine business?
6: Um, You know, in 2006, my father, his brother and uncle were really playing with the idea of planting a vineyard, and planting a vineyard turned into making a bottle, turned into making sparkling wine when um, Michelle came into the picture. So it was really kind of an organic situation us being in agriculture in the salinas valley and then the extension of that went to grapes and here we are today to find out more about caraccioli wines visit us at www.caracciolicellars.com or stop by our tasting room in downtown carmel california that's caraccioli cellars c-a-r-a-c-c-i-o-l-i cellars where one bottle is never enough
0: this Mother's Day, show your mom how much you care by taking her to Severino's spectacular Champagne brunch on May 10th from 10 a.m. to 2:30 p.m. We'll be featuring hand-carved Angus prime rib, chicken cordon bleu, chilled prawns, Benedict's, an omelet station, assorted salads, and so much more. All this for just $42 per adult, $16 for children 6 through 12, and children 5 and younger eat free. We will also be serving a special Mother's Day dinner menu from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. To make your reservations, call 688-8987 and. Happy Mother's Day.
7: No doubt about it. Time to get those RVs and boat, camper, and horse trailers ready to roll. Michael Olson here at RV Service Center, just off Highway 1 up at the top of Santa Cruz 2525 Mission. Rena, what do folks need to do to get their rolling stock back on the road?
5: First, fire up all the appliances and make certain that they work. Stove, refrigerator, air conditioner, heater, and all the electrical components. Next, check out the things that are hard to see, like your running gear, axles, brakes, and tires. Don't want to lose a wheel or a horse while cruising down the highway.
7: That sounds like a lot of very important work that needs to get done before folks hit the road again, Rena. Will you folks at RV Service Center lend a hand?
5: You bet, Michael. We'll do a complete get-back-on-the-road checkup at RV Service Center. And to make it real easy, we'll do the complete checkup for 25% off. Book your appointment today, because we're getting real busy already.
7: That's RV Service Center, 2525 Mission. Call today, 831-427-0881. Hi, I'm Greg. And
5: I'm Marlene.
6: And we're the hosts of Flavors.
5: On KSCO 1080.
6: We're going to be talking about restaurants, cookbooks.
5: Wine and reviews.
6: And all sorts of other things. If you like olive oils, this is the place.
5: So remember to tune in on Sundays at noon.
6: And remember, Flavors
1: Everything.
2: Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is Senator Tom Coburn. And before we went to break, you were saying that you have witnessed firsthand the administrative overhead, uh, which goes into uh, complying with new health care regulations, uh, which is clearly taking resources away from focusing on how to cure or treat a patient. Uh, now, I know at one point you were highly critical of the threats to defund the Affordable Care Act, and you, including calling them uh, intellectually dishonest. Can you speak to that for a moment?
3: Sure, you know I, I'm all I was all for defunding the Affordable Care Act, but you got to have the ability to do that,
4: mm-hmm.
3: and and to say you can do it when you know you can't is not honest. When you, when you build up hope among those people who would like to see it defunded, to enhance your own name ID, knowing very well that you cannot accomplish the goal you're telling everybody you're setting out to do. It, it is not honest. It, well, it's it, part
2: it, of that theater it, that you were talking about earlier. Right. right. It's it, about
3: enhancing myself and, and enhancing my career to the, to the negative or to the detriment of the country. Uh, I'm all for shutting down the government anytime we can, as long as we shut it down until we get what we want accomplished. But if you're going to shut down the government and not get what you want to accomplish, there's no reason to do it. Because all you do is take political heat for being stupid. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, I am I was in Congress when it, we shut down the government with Bill Clinton. The worst thing we ever did was open it back up because we would have won. We wouldn't have trillion dollar deficits now. We would be on a glide path of a much different way. But because we are leaders coward mm-hmm. and didn't stick with what they had said they were going to do what you saw, and history is replete with the, the, the proof of this, just uh, ask some of the people in the Clinton administration, had, they done, had we stuck with what we were going to do, we would have accomplished it.
2: Now let, but, let me uh, ask you a reason... question as a physician. How do you think the Affordable Care Act is working now as a physician?
3: Well, I, th- I think it, there's no question it's helping some people get insurance that didn't have it. But a, over 7 million people lost the insurance that they wanted, and have much higher costs now with less care. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how you trade that off. You know, I think there's a better answer. I think what we do is we create catastrophic coverage in this country where after a certain percentage of your income is consumed with health care costs, then we have a catastrophic health insurance that covers that. Mm-hmm. And then we let competitive forces, and competitive forces, not the government, but true competitive forces guide everything else up until that level. And and so I don't think anybody should lose their home because of health. I don't think anybody should go bankrupt because of health. And I think we're a compassionate society. We can figure out a way that works within free enterprise system and markets to do that, that is efficient and effective. i tell you, a, a, a report I read not long ago, Rebecca, was uh, on concierge medicine. Yes. Okay. Right? That's where somebody pays a fee monthly. to Whatever it is, they take care of you mm-hmm. 24-7. Well, here's what the studies show on concierge doctors. Because they're doing practice in medicine the way they were taught, they're actually listening to their patients. You know, the the axiom in medicine is if you listen to your patient, they'll tell you what's wrong with them. They order 55% fewer tests than the rest of the doctors.
2: That's very interesting. Well, but but they're not beholden to hospitals or any other medical organization. They act independently, the concierge doctors do.
3: That's right. Mm -hmm. And they actually are following what they were trained because the axiom is true. Now, let's go to the other side of that. If you're in a busy practice that's trying to, you know, absorb this tremendous overhead, remember, most concierge doctors have one employee, Mm -hmm. only one. My former practice had six employees per doctor, six to seven. Mm-hmm. All right, concierge doctor has one. So they're not interested in seeing as many patients as they can. They're interested in solving your problem. Whereas on the other side of that, you've got to work through the patient. So if you didn't listen to your patient and didn't take the time, and other studies in those type practices show this, from the time the doctor walks in to say, why are you here to see me today? it is less than seven seconds before they interrupt you because they're so anxious to get to the next patient because they got to pay the overhead to pay all those employees on all the things that are happening that don't have anything to do with getting the patient well. So it's, it's a recipe for disaster because we're, aba- we're abandoning the techniques that we were taught in medicine being physicians, not doctors but physicians, and we're losing the art of medicine which is 60% of medicine and we're making it all mechanical all computerized mm-hmm. I, i'll give you just well this is something i know your listeners will be interested in i got a home health form now that the government has mandated everything computerized that was 32 pages long <laughs> it took me 20 <laughs> minutes to read it you know what was wrong with the patient no they were constipated oh my goodness so the government no. has mandated one, no. that they have to fill out all these forms on all this boilerplate to tell a doctor that a patient's constipated. And number two is there's no there's no compensation for me to spend 20 minutes to read that report. So you know what's happened with all the computerized medicine? Nobody's reading it. So we're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars per doctor in the country of your taxpayer money to put in computerized medical records that's so full of garbage and so poorly designed that you can't know what's going on with a patient without spending an hour looking through the record that nobody is now reading it.
2: Well, that is, not, that is not good news, and I, I hope that next week when our technologist is back, I'm going to put this to him and ask him what technological solution is coming down the pike here to, to solve that, that, uh, that um, data constipation, if you will. I mean, That's what, exactly what it is. It is,
3: exactly isn't it? it is. And yeah. we're getting ready to do ICDDM-10, yeah. which, which is going to mandate all these extra people in the offices, making sure they got all the diagnoses down, we've expanded the number of diagnoses in a ludicrous amount that won't help anybody except the bean counters in Washington. Yes. But yes. the cost is going to be about 5 to $7 billion a year in the medical field.
2: Well, that is something that I would like you to come back and talk to us again. Unfortunately, we are almost out of time, but before we let you go, do you have a website where listeners can go to stay current on your views or your activities?
3: No, I don't.
2: Oh, my goodness. I do you Do you realize, Mr. Coburn, I am going to be inundated with people who want to get in touch with you?
3: <laughs> well... They're about to take my website live at Oklahoma State University. I don't know when that's going to be. Okay. Uh, So you can get all the stuff I've done in the past, all the waste, all the investigations, all the stupidity and and (laughs) silliness that went on in Washington. You'll be able to see all that. I don't know when that's actually going to be live, but it's not going to be long. Well,
2: ho- well, hopefully the- it'll be very, very soon, because I know that this, you know, we go out over 5,000 stations across the United States. I have to say that people are going to want to get in touch with you and know how they can get involved in supporting this convention of states. Uh, I well, support that's, it. That's I think it is very, very important. And, and, and again, you know, you want to create a groundswell for that.
3: That's right. And Mm -hmm. they can go to Mm conventionofstates.com. All the questions, the common questions are there. They can get them answered. They can see what our founders said, where it is in the Constitution, why it's important, and understand that we're at great risk of losing our liberty. And it's time for we as citizens to take that back.
2: Well, now that is all the time that we have left. But before we say goodbye, I would like to take this opportunity to thank you for your service to our nation. Thank you, Senator Coburn.
3: You're welcome, and I enjoyed our conversation.
2: And come back soon. If your station is leaving us after this first hour and you have a question or a comment to make about our interview with Tom Coburn, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. A quick look at Coburn's voting record in the House and Senate proves Mr. Coburn's willingness to cross the aisle on issues which include reducing the defense budget, health care for Americans, universal background checks on gun purchases, whistleblowers. Or protection you'd have a look for yourself uh, and if you're interested in learning more about Coburn's work on eliminating wasteful spending pick up his book The Debt Bomb uh, which is available in bookstores everywhere I, I tell you I picked it up I could not put it down if you missed the full interview with Mr. Coburn today or any of our other previous guests remember you can always download episodes of The Costa Report from our website Apple iTunes Podbean and our YouTube channel Uh, My guest next week is former House Intelligence Chairman Mike Rogers, who says the United States must prepare for a prolonged engagement with ISIS and expect many more cyber attacks from China. Don't miss Mike Rogers next week on the only news program that puts policy ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for a second hour of Straight Talk Radio. You're listening to The Costa Report.